Welcome to the Breakwater Podcast. I am Samantha, your host for this episode and the Drug-Free Communities Grant Coordinator for Breakwater. Today, we're joined by Amanda Poole, Outreach Coordinator for Rogers Behavioral Health, and Dr. Maloney, Executive Director of Addiction Services at Rogers Behavioral Health. We're talking about everything marijuana, CBD, THC, and how teens, families, and communities are impacted. I hope you enjoy this episode. And don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this right now. Send us a message or leave us a comment to join the conversation or let us know what else you'd like to hear. Amanda and Dr. Maloney are up next. so much for joining me today. I want to start with a little bit of introduction. Um, I'm here today with Dr. Maloney and Amanda Poole. If you guys could each introduce yourself and share a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi, yes, my name is uh, Dr. Michelle Maloney. I am a substance use clinician and passionate advocate in the field of substance use. I have been treating both mental health and addiction patients for over 25 years in a variety of settings and with variety demographics. I started my career actually working with adolescents um, and now I work in in more of an administrative role as well as I enjoy coaching staff in treating substance use. Amanda? Thank you. So my name's Amanda. I'm the outreach representative for our Rogers Behavioral Health location um, based in the Appleton Fox Valley area here. Um, so my role is really to help connect with community providers in the area with our services, also to increase awareness of um, not only our services, but also just awareness of addiction, mental health, and help reduce some of those stigmas and those barriers um, just to increase the, that access to care. And today we're here to talk about teens and THC. So why don't we start with just kind of a basic overview or explanation. What is THC and what do people mean when they talk about it? So Samantha, I think when people talk about THC, what they're really talking about is marijuana. You know, there are differences and I think it's helpful for people to understand some of those differences. So you know, why don't we start out with marijuana? So marijuana is certainly a plant. It can grow without any human intervention and has grown without any human intervention. Um, You know, and, you know, when we talk about marijuana, there are typically two different types of marijuana we talk about. We talk about the medical marijuana and we talk about kind of that recreational uh, marijuana. And those are two different types of, um, you know, plants, if you will. But then we also have hybrids as many growers will try to crossbreed uh, between those two. I think a lot of people, when they think of marijuana being a plant, they think of it's, it's safe. You know, it comes from the earth. It comes from the ground. It must be safe. Um, you know, that's not necessarily true. You know, certainly as we talk about heroin and being in an opioid epidemic, you know, marijuana is certainly less harmful, but it doesn't mean that it's safe. You know, and with marijuana, marijuana can be used in a variety of ways. 
It can be smoked in its oil form. It can be, you know, vaped in, you know, the uh, e-cigarette, if you will. Um, it can also be in a wax form, but typically most people think of marijuana in its sort of blunt form or the plant uh, form um, from that perspective. You know, I think people, when they think of marijuana, also think that marijuana cannot be addictive, but that's not, that's not true. You can become addicted to marijuana. Um, you know, as a professional, we call that cannabis use disorder, and there is treatment for that. Um, but again, I think kind of that, that misperception out there, you know, is that it cannot be addictive. So that's sort of marijuana overview, if you will. Then when we talk about THC, THC is one component of the marijuana plant. Um, and I think many times, you know, people of my age, if you will, um, you know, think back to Woodstock, back to the 1960s when, you know, marijuana sort of was, you know, big back then, you know, THC in that marijuana was between three to 4% THC. Marijuana of today, you know, particularly when we look at what's being confiscated by the DEA off the streets, can be as high as 90% THC. So we're talking about two very different um, types of marijuana and, and certainly a wide variety of, you know, THC in there. Um, and you may ask why that's important. It's important because the higher the level of THC, the more toxic it is. And it is that level of THC that research is looking to see, does that have a higher connection to other mental health disorders such as schizophrenia? And so that's why I kind of point out, you know, that THC, you know, and marijuana are, are two different types of things, if you will. And you mentioned that there's a difference between recreational and medicinal marijuana or medical marijuana. And when you say there's a difference, are, are there different plants or different species of plants that are used for each one? Or is that just speaking to the difference in maybe reason for use or acceptance of use? You know, Sam, Samantha, that is um, a good question. You know, we, we like to think of it as, as, you know, there are typically two different plants used, but with the hybrids that are, have been occurring, you know, we're not always sure. So typically Indica is for medicinal and um, Sativa is for the recreational, but again, the cross of hybrids, we're not really sure. You know, and when we talk about medicinal, you know, there are researchers and advocates and people that believe that medicinal is a way for individuals to smoke marijuana where it is not recreationally legal because many states um, will have medicinal as legal but recreational as still under the illegal category, if you will. And actually, if I can build off of that for a second, I know I've heard you talk about this, Dr. Maloney, but um, as far as when we're talking about medicinal marijuana and we hear about all of these um, ways that it helps people, are there studies or is there actual evidence to show that 
it does what all these claims are saying that it does when we're talking about medicinal marijuana. So I will tell you that research on marijuana, as well as vaping, as well as CBD is very mixed, you know, and it's important to understand who is funding the research because that can certainly have an impact sometimes on, you know, the research strategies and how the research is designed. And you have a lot of conflicting um, information out there on marijuana. So it's important to know that in the short term, there is research that shows in the short term that marijuana can be, or medicinal marijuana can be helpful in the treatment of, you know, anxiety. It can lower someone's anxiety. Um, but in the long term, you know, you have to think about the costs may begin to soon outweigh the benefits, um, you know, leading into addiction or leading into other mental health disorders. Um, there is also research um, that was put out uh, many, many, many years ago that um, appeared to show that marijuana would help treat opioid use disorder. You know, there was, that was contradicted in a research study that was published, I think it was two years ago, that actually shows that, you know, marijuana use may contribute to opioid use disorder. Um, there is one FDA approved um, CBD medication that is utilized to treat um, childhood epilepsy. That is the only FDA approved medication that I am aware of at this time. And so that's the other thing to be cognizant of is that um, the FDA does not regulate uh, marijuana. It does not regulate uh, CBD oils. Um, and so when we talk about sort of that non-regulation, it's really hard at times to do research um, because one plant you know, the THC level in, in one may be very different than the THC level in another. Um, so as we think about FDA medications, there are a lot of controls that if you get, you know, a medication, let's just use Tylenol, for example, you know, that formula, you know, will be the same no matter where you bought that Tylenol, no matter what state you were in, you know, it's always going to be the same formulary. That is not true with non-FDA approved uh, medications. So that leads into my next question is, you had mentioned before that there's ongoing studies in research right now to try and understand at the, the difference in concentrations of THC and if a higher concentration contributes to to other mental health disorders. My question was gonna be who regulates it, even in states where it's legal, either medicinally or recreational, how much regulation is actually there to really know what concentration you're getting in whatever form you're getting that marijuana in? Um, and is there any early research or early information available from this, the studies that are going on to kind of indicate if there is a correlation or causation between 
using marijuana, using THC, and increased risk of mental health disorders? Yeah, that was a lot. So I'll try to break it. I'll try to break it down. Um, so there is some some research um, being done, particularly as it looked at marijuana and psychosis and schizophrenia, where there is correlation, um, but not necessarily causation. Um, and that's important to distinguish. Um, you know, more research is certainly needed in those, in those areas. As far as regulations and legislation, each state is handling things very differently. You know, when we look at Colorado, who was the, you know, the state we think of when we think about legalizing marijuana, um, and we look at where they're at today, you know, there are, again, some things um, that we're looking at, like increase in car accidents, increase in violence. Um, again, we can't say that the legalization of marijuana has caused those, but there is a correlation between the states that do have legalized marijuana and the incidences of car accidents. Um, you know, and so I think there's certainly more to be done, you know, on a federal level, um, you know, federally, marijuana is still illegal. Um, and so, you know, that certainly has an impact on research. It has an impact on how um, the states operate. Um, you know, for example, Oregon, uh, just in its most recent um, election, vote the, you know, the, the voters decided to decriminalize all substances. Um, you know, from, from a personal perspective in an effort to reduce the stigma and decriminalize because we do know that so many of our prisons are filled, you know, with, with substance use, um, you know, individuals that use substances that may not have any other crimes. Um, and so, you know, again, it'll be, we'll be looking to the federal government, you know, as a way to see that. You know, CBD um, this past year, certainly, you know, that has been on the FDA's radar and the FDA is certainly now looking at um, studies and endorsing studies um, to look at the efficacy of CBD to, you know, in an effort to regulate them. Um, many people may not be aware of this, but CBD became legal under the Farm Bill. Um, and so, you know, the farm bill wasn't set out to, um, you know, promote CBD or anything of that nature, but it was, that's basically how CBD became legal was in that farm bill. When you say farm bill, for those that may not be familiar, are you talking F-A-R-M or P-H-A-R-M? Um, F-A-R-M. Okay. Is it was a bill to help farmers and CBD was embedded into that bill. And I, I bring that up just to kind of underscore how important it is to pay attention to things like the, this and, and read what's really built into policy because that, that kind of um, flagship thing 
may not be the only issue addressed in as bills are coming through. Uh, so you've mentioned CBD a couple times as well. Can you explain the difference between THC and CBD and maybe why CBD is higher on the FDA's list than THC? Certainly. So THC is when we is one part of the marijuana plant. CBD is the other part of the marijuana plant. Um, THC is the uh, part of the plant in which individuals contract that high, you know, and that's why they 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 smoke is to get high. Um, and so THC is that part of it. Um, CBD is the other the other part of the marijuana plant where it's an oil that's extracted uh, from the plant. CBD is typically in things like creams or uh, supplements, in gels. When people think of CBD, they also think of helping with some pain, um, arthritis, um, you know, and so I think that's part of it, you know, um, you know, one of the things I will tell you, and again, more research needs to be done, but, um, you know, depending on the sensitivity of a drug screen and how much CBD you have been using, there are instances where someone did test positive um, for marijuana by using CBD. Um, you know, there's also um, studies out there that show that if you use CBD and THC together, the CBD can interfere with the psychoactive properties of the THC. Um, so again, I think, you know, as we think of these things as less harmful, just because they're less harmful does not mean they're safe for our bodies. And that's, you know, really, I think the important thing to take away from it. Um, because, you know, all of our bodies are different, you know, particularly during this time of COVID, you know, everybody is experiencing COVID differently, you know, and it's unfortunate, but, um, you know, new studies uh, currently coming out of like Harvard show that substance users are more likely to contract COVID. And if they contract COVID, they're more likely to have more severe symptoms. Um, and, you know, and some of the rationale or reasoning behind that is, you know, COVID being a respiratory illness um, and marijuana already impacting your lungs or vaping already impacting your lungs. Um, you know, we're seeing that that may be part of the reasoning behind that. I still think it's, you know, too early to tell all of that very similar to, um, you know, it was about a year ago when we were talking about you know, vaping lung disease and all of the issues that adolescents uh, were facing with, you know, kind of contracting this mysterious illness as a result of vaping. So over the last year, I feel like CBD and CBD products have become more commonplace. And in coalition work, in Substance Use Prevention Coalition Lens, we talk a lot about social norms. 
and how that community culture, those social norms shape our perceptions, shape youth perception towards different substances. I mean, alcohol advertising in Wisconsin at this point is essentially wallpaper. We see it, we take it in without even realizing it. And I feel like CBD is kind of heading down that same pathway. I stopped in at my neighborhood grocery store a few days ago, and there's a vending machine with CBD products in like the front entry area where all the carts are. Driving down the road in like the little strip malls, you have the the dollar store, the pizza place, and then something that says, buy your CBD here. Uh, do you see that? Do you think that that CBD is becoming more socially accept acceptable, more normal to see the advertising, the products? And do you think that will also change perception of harm when it comes to marijuana? Because the two seem tightly connected in, in people's minds. Yes, Samantha, I think, you know, it certainly is becoming more socially acceptable, social norm, you know, like you mentioned, it's being sold at the grocery store, it's being sold at your, your local pharmacy, your local Walgreens, um, you know, kind of like you walk in there to get your Tylenol, you also get your CBG. Um, and I think there's a lot of, you know, advertisements um, out there for, you know, what CBD is good for. And at the same time, we're hearing how bad opioids are for you and some of the massive lawsuits against um, the ph pharmaceutical companies and the changes in prescribing practices for opioids. So if I'm hearing on TV or I'm, you know, seeing these billboards or these advertisements that if I rub this cream on my leg and it's going to help my arthritis or, you know, the pain from playing weekend football, um, and I hear the bad things about opioids, you know, I think we have those two things coming together, which is fueling um, even more demand, if you will, for, for the CBD. Uh, you know, living, living in, I, so I live in Florida and living in Florida, um, it's, you know, most people think of, you know, Florida having a lot more senior citizens, if you will, and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I think of, you know, individuals like, you know, my grandmother, if you will, who I'm sure she would rather use CBD than, than opioids if she had to. And so I think this just adds to that social norm, you know, and along with adolescence, when we think about adolescence and kind of those social norms, um, you know, social media, peer pressure, you know, social media is not just limited to adolescence, but, you know, certainly that's really when we're starting to form our own, our own decision-making, our own thought processes, um, and, and we have a lot more peer pressure at that time. But when we think about it, you know, the movies, the TV shows, the gaming, um, you know, what are adolescents seeing? You know, I recently read somewhere that I think it was about, um, I think it was seven out of 10 um, 
adolescent pop song. So the, you know, the, the music popular for adolescents involves some sort of comment regarding a substance or alcohol. Um, and I think movies were around like five out of 10, I think it was, um, where, you know, they either involve somebody smoking or somebody drinking or somebody using a substance. And so again, as we filter that into our brains, it begins to establish our social norm. So what are some of the reasons you hear from teens or adolescents or you see in practice or your partner's practice um, that teens are reporting using marijuana or THC products or CBD products? Um, you know, we've heard a, a variety of reasons. Um, my friends are. Um, you know, that, that is one I want to fit in. Um, it comes, it comes from the earth. It can't be bad for me. Um, I would say a lot of those are the main reasons or, you know, it, it, it makes me happier. Um, I can talk more, maybe I'm socially shy. And when I smoke marijuana, I can, I can fit in more. I can talk to, you know, maybe that person I'm interested in or, you know, that type of thing. It gives me the ability to ask somebody out on a date, if you will, from that perspective. So, you know, we hear that's a, a reason why a lot of adolescents, you know, maybe have their first, their first one. Um, that also goes along with vaping, you know, kind of, again, that peer, that peer pressure, you know, wanting to look cool. We hear sometimes about in teens in the area saying, well, it helps me sleep. It reduces my anxiety. You know, to your point before, I would rather smoke marijuana or something rather than take a prescription medication. Um, do you see a lot of that or hear a lot of that as well? Yes. So we do hear a lot of that. Again, I'm not going to deny that it doesn't help in that short term. Um, but again, when you start to think about the long-term costs associated with continually smoking marijuana, you know, with the other mental health disorders, you know, and particularly for adolescents, I think the biggest thing for adolescents is their brains are still developing. And so the way our brains develop is from the back of our brain, you know, to our, our forebrain, to our forehead. Um, and our brains are not fully developed until about the age 25. So the last part of our brain to develop, you know, in the front there is responsible for our decision-making and our impulse control. So we, when we think about adolescence in general, you know, what is normal adolescence? They make bad decisions. They don't have impulse control, right? You know, even college students, if you think about, you know, that 19, 20, 21 year olds, right? That's normal adolescence to struggle with those. When we start to use other substances, including marijuana, it changes our brain development and delays our brain development. And so it does have an impact, you know, and what, what we have noticed is individuals who smoke a lot of marijuana that would be diagnosed with like cannabis use disorder, it has an impact on their ability to retain information. And so, you know, the main job of an adolescent is 
to go to school, be educated. And so it does have an impact um, on that. It also can have an impact on, you know, emotional development, how we, you know, handle things emotionally. And so, you know, I would say that's the main thing that I worry about most with some of this becoming our, our norm, if you will, is the brain development of our adolescents. And we talked about this a little bit before, but just, I want to kind of come back to just quickly, what are all of the ways in which marijuana can be consumed these days? Is it just smoking? Is there, is it just vaping? What are some things in terms of delivery systems that parents might want to be aware of or watch out for? What I've learned over the the course of my career is where there is a will, there is a way. So, you know, marijuana can now be consumed in any type of food, gummy bears, chocolate. And if I gave you two gummy bears and one was a marijuana edible, the other was a gummy bear we bought from CVS or, you know, the grocery store, you would not be able to tell the difference. That is one of the dangers, you know, many times we now see in the newspaper or, you know, THC poisoning is a real thing. Um, You know, ER doctors are seeing it practically daily uh, in which maybe a four-year-old, a five-year-old got a hold of those gummy bears or the lollipop or the chocolate, um, you know, something of that nature, you know, and what four-year-old doesn't like candy. Back when we used to think about edibles, we thought about the brownies, you know, with the marijuana, you know, baked in, it certainly has involved uh, from there. We, we, you know, it can be vaped in the electronic cigarettes. Um, It can be smoked. There is, it can be used as wax, different, parts of the country call it different things. Um, You know, people known it as shatter. People have heard it called wax. People have called it dabs. There's also something called puppy chow. Uh, Puppy chow is when you think of Chex mix and that, that Chex party mix, you know, the, the oil, the THC oil can be mixed in with that. And that's known as puppy chow you know, part of it is it's very cheap. It's, it's, you know, inexpensive in the end compared to other substances. Can we talk about synthetics for a minute? That's something that I hear thrown around too. And I think we've pretty thoroughly covered marijuana and then the breakdown between THC and CBD, but what's, what's the deal with synthetics and why are those so concerning? Synthetics are human made. So, you know, we talked about, you know, marijuana being plant-based and can grow without any human intervention. Synthetics, um, typically known as, you know, K2 or Spice. Spice is one brand, but um, tends to encompass all of the synthetics, if you will. So when people talk about Spice, they're talking about all of the synthetics and they're human-made. And... You know, when something is human made, there's a lot of chemicals, if you will, involved in it. And it is that that mixture of those chemicals and the, you know, marijuana um, combined together that become pretty toxic. 
Um, and so you're looking at something that is now much more toxic than let's just say your basic marijuana. Typically speaking, you can buy synthetics, you know, certainly on the dark web or over the internet. Many times, you know, on the package, it will say for research use only, not for human consumption. That does not stop anyone from using it if they wish. Um, and overdoses on synthetics do occur um, and can occur pretty regularly. In addition, um, you know, they can be laced with other substances. I mean, marijuana can also be laced with other substances. So you may find marijuana laced with fentanyl that leads to an overdose. You're also finding synthetics, you know, lace that can also lead to overdose. And we don't always know what chemicals are in the synthetics. So, you know, it, you know, if we have a chemical that maybe I can't even pronounce its name and, you know, we smoke that, um, you know, we don't always know what that does to the brain or what that can do to the body because there's so many different chemicals out there. So for years, and I remember hearing it growing up in the DARE and the Counteract programs, in all of the in-school prevention programming, uh, that marijuana is a gateway drug. Kids start with drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes, using marijuana, and then it's kind of that progression to the quote-unquote harder drugs. Do you think that's still accurate? So there was a research study done in 2018 that did show that there was, again, a correlation between the use of substances. So if someone used uh, marijuana, they were seven times more likely to use other substances. Um, it is not to say, again, that there's a causation between them. Um, but there certainly is a correlation. So you may say, okay, well, what are some of the reasons behind that? Uh, some of the reasons behind that could be, you know, if I'm smoking marijuana, maybe I'm hanging around individuals who use other substances. So I'm going to use other substances, you know, maybe um, because marijuana can give you, can lower your inhibitions. I'm now open to, you know, other substances. Um, if I know where to buy marijuana, I may know where to buy other substances. And so that can potentially lead to that correlation. Um, you know, but certainly more will need to, more research will need to be done between that. Um, but we have seen, again, correlations between smoking and vaping with alcohol, with marijuana, and then with other other substances. Kind of playing off of that a little bit with as far as the kind of trying others, trying substances and that kind of gateway. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that kind of idea of experimenting versus use disorder and addiction and how those all kind of tie in, especially with this adolescent population? Sure. So, you know, I think adolescent experimentation is, is normal. Um, I think, you know, people are curious, you know, I think we mentioned earlier that in Wisconsin, you know, alcohol advertisements are, I think you called it wallpaper. Um, 
And, you know, so adolescents experimenting with alcohol is going to be a normal, um, you know, coming of age ritual, if you will, um, you know, where it comes into, you know, addiction or substance use disorder is a couple of things. One is, you know, uh, related to control. Like, can you control when you're using, how much you're using? Um, have you lost control? You know, another one is related to, you know, how are those substances affecting your life, right? Has it changed your relationships? Um, have I given up activities? Let's say maybe I used to play, you know, on the high school sports team, but now I'm more interested in using versus playing on the high school sports team, or I've changed my friends, or, you know, my relationships have changed. And then the, the sort of last category is how it relates to sort of physical dependence, right? Um, do I need more of the same substance to get the same effect? Um, do I have withdrawal symptoms when I don't use? Um, and so, you know, again, when we think about experimentation, we think about, I use once, twice, it's there, I can take it, I can leave it. I'm just not really interested in that substance um, and I don't have any consequences. You know, and, and, and again, I think that's the difference between experimentation and addiction. This is something, I mean, Andre's drinking, substance use, experimentation, it's something that all parents need to be talking to kids about. Um, teachers are sometimes put in the position of talking to kids about it through whether it's a health class or in-school programming or kids asking questions, seeking advice, that kind of thing. It can be very uncomfortable. It can be hard to get them to engage in conversation or feel like you can plan the right time and the right approach. Do you have any tips on how parents can make that a little bit easier or how they can approach the conversation with their children and at what age? First, let me address the age. I think it's never too early to start, particularly if you have substance use disorder or addiction in your family. Even three, four-year-olds, five-year-olds are affected and impacted if someone in their family has a substance use disorder. And, you know, there are resources out there. There are children's books. The one children's book I always like to refer to is called Think of Wind. And it is a children's book in which the author talks about alcoholism and the dad, you know, being sick with an alcohol use disorder. And it's like the wind, you know, the child can feel it, but they can't see it. It's a great way to kind of start some of those conversations, particularly, you know, again, if the child is growing up in a home where substance use disorder has been there. Talking with teens certainly can be a little more challenging at times, I think, in particular because most of them have smartphones. And so one of the things I would say to any adult is, Nothing is ever black and white, right? There are, you're gonna find some research out there that says 
marijuana helps pain. Then you're gonna find some research out there that says marijuana impacts brain development, right? You know, both are true. And again, they can look it up. So I think it's, it's important to recognize, you know, both ends of the spectrum. It's also important not to lie to them because again, they can research those facts and, um, you know, be able to contradict you if you will. And so then you, you lose ground. You know, I always say, look at the media. You know, if there's a story that you see on the news or in the newspaper or, you know, on the phone, use it as an open door to kind of start the conversation and, you know, say, what are your thoughts about that? And be open to hearing their opinions. It may be different than yours. They may be coming from a different perspective, but it'll give you an idea of where, 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 where the adolescent is at, um, you know, from that perspective. You know, another good time to bring up topics is when you're driving, you know, you're sitting side by side. The adolescent doesn't have to engage in eye contact with you. They're able to provide information if you're listening for it without, again, that fear of that black and white, you know, everything's all bad or everything's all good. And so I think that would be the main tips that I would give adults. I would also say, you know, be aware of your own hot buttons. You know, your adolescent knows what buttons to push many of the time. And so be aware of your own and, you know, know your own boundaries, know your own limits. And if your adolescent has started using, you know, one of the things I would say, or the experimentation, if you will, is give them an exit plan in which they, you know, if they find themselves in a situation that they need to get out of, have a plan for them to call you, you know, no questions asked, not the fear of, you know, kind of getting in trouble, but being able to have that conversation afterwards. What are some signs that parents can watch for to see or to kind of get an understanding of if their children are engaging in experimentation, if they're starting to move into the area where they're struggling with addiction or substance use disorders? Sure. So, you know, some things to watch out for are, you know, mood swings. Are they having mood swings? And, you know, mood swings, again, probably a very normal part of adolescence and puberty, but to what degree are those mood swings occurring? You know, changes in their sleep, their appetite, um, have they changed their friends, their pupils, are they dilated? Is an adolescent having unexplained nosebleeds or burns? Are they ignoring the rules? Are they skipping school regularly? Have they given up interest in activities? Do they have a lot more money than what they used to? Or do they have no money? And, and you don't know where their money is going because you know sometimes those can also indicate substance use as well and even substance, use, uh, substance dealing. You know, are they running away from home? Have they been arrested? You know, is there increased involvement with authorities? Maybe they're not arrested, but, you know, there's been that 
the authorities have been hanging around, if you will. And so looking at some of that, have they always been a good student and now there's a significant drop in grades? These may not always signal substance use because they can also be some mental health symptoms. You know, maybe they're struggling with depression. Um, so you want to you want to take a look at that. And if these are going on, again, having that conversation, being open and being ready to hear whatever those answers are. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? So we hope that by having these conversations and, and helping to get this information more available to the community, parents will have these conversations with their children starting at an early age and hopefully avoid the substance use disorder piece of it. For those parents who maybe will start having those conversations after this or already are, what are some indicators that their child might need help navigating some mental health concerns or some substance use concerns? What are those signs and what res- where can they find resources? Well, some of, the, some of the signs, again, as we talked about, kind of, you know, looking for some of those changes, you know, has your adolescent changed? And Certainly now in the times of COVID and social isolation, it's, it's much more difficult. What is the result of COVID? What is the result of not being able to see their friends and that social isolation, you know, versus substance use or mental health? So I think, you know, we're all still trying to navigate, you know, what I would have told you a year ago to, to today, but some resources out there, you know, particularly if you're looking for education, you know, the government does have some, some good websites. NIDA, the National Institute of Drug Abuse, SAMHSA, the, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Association, can be some great websites to go to, uh, to, you know, find resources, to find information to even, they even have resources on opening up the door to, to talk with your, with your adolescent or your child. You know, if, if your child's close to a coach, you know, even having conversations with, with, with the coach, um, you know, your insurance, finding a qualified professional that can, you know, that your adolescent can talk to, or even you could talk to about maybe even some of your own your own struggles, again, knowing your own limits, you know, knowing your own boundaries, what, you know, what are the rules of your home and what are, what is negotiable and what's not negotiable. Rogers has uh, a lot of resources on our webpage to help parents navigate through, through some of this, or even, you know, help for yourself because part of it will also be for parents is to set a good example for the adolescent you know, as part of that, because, you know, I think sometimes as parents, we, we think our adolescents aren't listening to us, or we think our adolescent isn't paying attention, attention to us. That's not true. In many, in many times, they're listening, they may just want to ignore us, but they are watching us. They're also watching to see how we're going to respond, how we cope. And so I certainly, you know, addiction is unfortunately, a cycle. It does have a genetic predisposition component to it. And so it's a way for us to break that cycle. 
I like how you said that, even if we don't feel like they're listening or watching, they are. And you had talked before about even, you know, three, four, five-year-olds start to pick up on some of these things, particularly if they have substance use disorder within their family or within their household. And they learn how to cope from us. They watch us and see that behavior. And especially now with everybody's stress levels increasing, anxiety levels increasing, the feeling of uncertainty, virtual schooling, all of that, how we're coping with all of that as parents is teaching our children lessons, whether we mean to be teaching those lessons or not. So thank you for that and all of the advice on the resources, particularly for parents and making sure that we're well and healthy as well. And I just want to add for anyone out there, 211 is a great resource as well to call 211 and they can help get you connected to resources if you're not really sure where to start looking or how to navigate that process as well. Thank you again, both of you for being a part of the podcast episode today and having this discussion about THC and teens and really helping us understand what marijuana is and where THC and CBD and synthetics kind of fall within that. Thank you so much, Samantha, for having me.